Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to Achten Millwall. Listening to Acton Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Acton Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Good afternoon and welcome to Acton Millwall. I hope you're well. I hope you're safe, whatever you're up to, wherever you are in this crazy, crazy world. We bring you another special lockdown edition of the podcast. Joining me, firstly, our panel, uh, the daddy himself, the CEO, the president, uh, De Meister, the Kaiser. It is Nick Hart. You're up, pal. Greetings, dear listeners. I'm working harder than when I was at work, dear listeners. I hope you realise that. <laughs> Literally, we're knocking out pods like for fun, mate, for fun. Um, and of course, uh, Acton Mill's very own Dale Winton, uh, Club Shop Supremo. It is Mr. Mike Wavery looking out for them bargains. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everyone's safe and healthy. Um, and joining us now, welcome to the jungle. Someone who who um, sort of like regulates us and what we do, um, and and someone who's. Uh, Who's, who's just an all-round good bloke. Uh, welcome to the jungle. Welcome to the party. Director of Communications, Mill Football Club, Billy Taylor. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Funny old time. Funny old time. I mean, you should be right in the, uh, the heart of promotion playoff madness, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. It's, it's very strange, isn't it? I think um, you sort of every, everything you think and do is with the caveat that, that football in the, in the grand scheme of things is almost entirely irrelevant with, with what's going on, but you, you just can't help but um, miss it and, and long for days of going into work and going to the training ground and preparing for, for games, covering games wherever they are in the country. Um, just bizarre circumstances, but obviously the main thing is you hope that everyone's following the, the advice and the, and the guidance and, and staying as safe as they can. It's funny, Bill. I was looking on Twitter earlier on and Mill Kev put on there how normally he dread the away day to Carlisle and right now he'd give his right arm for a Tuesday night in Carlisle watching watching the football. It's it's one of those really you know, you don't realise what you've got until it's gone, mate, do you? No, I think that's quite right. And you know, in the same premise, you you don't really realise how lucky you are until um, or just have you, you sort of relative freedom to go about your business, your your social lives, going to to watch football up and down the country, whoever you support or follow, um, those kind of 
civil liberties have been taken away from us for, yeah. for a period of time, obviously for very good reason. And um, just like to think when they when they come back, everyone will um, maybe cherish them a little bit more than they did before that. I think that might be the lasting legacy of of COVID nineteen and the, the crisis that is, has come with it. That people maybe stuff they took for granted before um, that they won't do moving forward. And I certainly like to think I won't complain about a four hour drive to Oldham ever again. <laughs> Six months, Bill. <laughs> yeah, well, well, as soon as winter comes and it's absolutely tipping it down, I'm, I'm sure I'll be back at it. But um, I like to think not. It's true. I mean, I think football for all of us. I mean, the reason we're, we're on this show together is because we all love football, and we all, um, <clears throat> you know, we, we it's been taken away from us. And and you know, as as you said, I think, Bill. I mean, it's it's both um, trivial and yet somehow it's a it supplies. Um, a bit of meaning in life in, in, in many respects, you know, it, it, you, we're all aware it's, it's fundamentally um, a pastime and, 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 uh, and has its place. But when it's not there, it's, um, it feels like there's a hole in, 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 the, in where, where football once used to occupy. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. It's, the kind of narrative has, has changed, I think, since the start of this crisis, sort of going maybe back to when lockdown um, began on, I think it was March the 23rd, wasn't it? It was... Football was completely irrelevant, um, whether you were a fan, player, mm. manager, coach, or, or you sort of worked in it behind the scenes like, like I do. It just didn't seem important. But I think we've now got to a stage where we're kind of looking at different ways of coming out of lockdown, whether that's a phased, um, a phased lessening of, um, of the measures. You, now that that discussion's moved to that, you, you are kind of looking at, well, how are we going to find a way to, to come out of this um, in our industry, as, as will all, all other industries. That's, you know, that's yeah, half yeah, the situation yeah. we're in. So um, discussion has, uh, um, has moved to that. And obviously that brings about so much um, debate, um, argument and, and disagreement. And I think that's just that's where we're at at the moment, really. Very, um, very challenging for uh, the governing bodies. I've got a lot of sympathy for... Um, those working at, um, you know, the Premier League, the FA, the EFL, um, PFA, um, that's just in this country, you know, let alone UEFA and FIFA. It's um, very, very difficult. And as you say, this is just, this is just one small industry uh, yeah. amongst many hundreds of thousands of, of others across the world that have got to find a, a way out of this crisis. Absolutely. The funny thing is, the funny thing is Bill, the last time I actually saw you, um, we were more worried about a storm. And sort of rubbish blown on the pitch at the den. It was West Brom on the Sunday lunchtime. Right, and there were yeah, games being yeah. called off here and there. We're, we're sat there, you know, worrying about weather and and and, and what that is going to um, what that's going to what that's going to do for the actual game. Um, but but looking at it now, I mean, what has been your approach in terms of content, in terms of keeping the fans in the loop during during this sort of like uh, this pandemic? Yeah, it's obviously been a big challenge as it is for for all other club media teams up and down the country, and again across Europe and uh, and, and wider afield than that. We um, we sort of did up did a bit with Steve the other day. We kind of confirmed that staff have been the majority of staff have been furloughed. That's been the case for quite some time. So um, a lot of of what has been going out was was scheduled weeks and weeks ago. So um, when I think about two weeks before lockdown. Um, the club moved quickly to sort of try and protect staff and, um, and fans alike. So um, sort of the shop um, started operating a little bit less. The ticket office the same. Um, staff who could work from home were allowed to work from home. So um, we had a little bit of time to prepare. And, and in that kind of two 
two and a half week period, we, we just tried to get as many things in the can as we possibly could. Um, we used our time, the little time we had left at the den to sort of delve into the archives and um, transfer loads of files from um, one format to another, which is a really, really exhausting process. So um, the, the lads that worked for me did a, did a brilliant, brilliant job. That's the video, um, the video stuff, I take it, Bill, is it? Yeah, the, that's the, right. The, yeah, it takes, it takes a long, long time um, unless um, there's some sort of ingenious solution, which I don't yet know about. But if there is, please let me know. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, all credit to the, to the staff that worked for me. Did, did a lot of work in a short period of time to kind of get us ready, knowing that we probably were going to go into lockdown. I think at that stage, Italy and Spain already were, and, you know, our figures were going the same sort of way. So um, that seemed inevitable. So we just tried our best and... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult, you, you know, in, in a way you, you are scraping the barrel. I'm not sort of afraid to admit that. Mm. Trying, to, trying to find um, different ways of um, almost sharing the same content you might have done a year ago, particularly with the sort of on this day archive stuff. And, and what you also have to remember is you, your engagement with the players is limited to um, the sort of thing that we're doing now over Zoom. Yeah. Skype. Yeah. You, can't, you can't go and see the players, um, can't do anything with them. So, um yeah, very, very strange and, and, and challenging, but um, I'm certainly used to a, a bit of a crisis at Millwall, so um, <laughs> try to embrace it as possible. Oh, it's an interesting way to put it. I mean, I've written a few notes to myself here, and I was one of the um, phrases I thought was the specific challenges, um, and, and Millwall presents its own specific challenges, doesn't it? I mean, it's. Um, I think it's fair to say no two weeks are ever quite the same at the Den, Bill. No, I think that's um, again another fair reflection of um, of, of my role. Um, so I've been at Mill for what feels like an eternity. Um, I think I'm in my ninth year. Started in in um, yeah 2012, so eight, eight years I've been there. Um, and I've, we've had all sorts um, throughout the years. That you know, on and off the pitch, there's been different challenges at different points. Um, a lot of stuff. Um, some of my sort of opposite numbers that other clubs will, will go through the whole career of that experience in. So um, that's kind of set me up well in terms of my own experiences, you know, going into the um, into the future. But I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, well, that's going to be one of my questions. I mean, you've been in the role for a little while. How long have you been doing the job for now, Bill? Uh, well, I've been at Mill um, since 2012. Right. Uh, I, I sort of started fresh out of university as program and social media editor and then um, gradually sort of worked my way out through the department and I think took over as yeah. head of department in, I think it was 2015. So you've not worked anywhere else, have you? No, I haven't. No, I, <laughs> I, did, um, I, did, uh, I went to uni at Bournemouth and right. it was a sandwich degree. So I did have a year in industry. So I ended up doing about 14 months at Dagenham and Redbridge. Right, okay, okay. Um, so that was when I was in League One. So that was, that was a good grounding and that's how I kind of got some contacts in in football and that allowed me to um, look at different jobs that came up and uh, the mill one came up literally as I left uni, went for it and thankfully um, blagged my way into it. <laughs> well, we, um, that's, that's one of the reasons why we, we, or we suggested, I suggested with, with having you, with you on Bill, because, um, you know, some people think with, with the medium communications that it, it's a bit to do with social media or putting out the, like a match report or a news article. But, you know, like, like Aaron and I and Nick know you, um, you know, reasonably well when we know you do a lot more uh, behind the scenes than probably what your title suggests. What, what exactly is it? What, I know it's difficult to say day to day because there's so many different things, but what is a, if you can say day to day um, um, job role for you? Um, 
difficult to, to summarise really. Every, to an extent, every day is is different. Obviously, I'm, I'm based at the den, but spend a lot of my time at the training ground, and it's it's a kind of twenty four seven role because you spend a lot of your time on the phone to um, to different people, particularly as I mentioned at, at times of relative crisis. Mm. Uh, most stuff I've been through kind of powers in comparison to what's happening at the moment. So, um, yeah, a lot of time on the phone speaking to um, different people in the media. Essentially, I suppose the best way of something I'm trying to spread um, the good name of Millwall um, throughout the media. Um, I spend a lot of a lot of time doing that. Some journalists listen, some don't. Um, I think I like to think we've made some decent strides in that over the past few years. Um, and on top of that is is the general day to day kind of content production which I oversee and um, have built up a team over the last um, sort of three or four years who do a brilliant job. Um, for the club, both across sort of marketing and, and communications, in kind of getting different, you know, video, um, written, social stuff out there. So that's the kind of nuts and bolts of things you see day to day on the on the social accounts of digital platforms and publications like the Match Day program. But um, behind the scenes, yeah, talking to talking to journalists all the time, um, trying to look at almost like essentially taking a step back and trying to look at different opportunities. Um, that we can kind of sell to the wider public to um, essentially make the club and its fans look as good as um, as good as is possible. Just going to say, it's um, with that, it, mate. It's not also the sort of Millwall stuff specifically. It's like if we ever have, um, I'm, I'm guessing in instances with like Aidan O'Brien, Sean Williams, players like that, Martin Romeo, when they get international call-ups, obviously you you would be responsible for ensuring those sort of news is, or um, information is under some kind of embargo before you know, that actually officially gets announced, you know, because you wouldn't want players sort of spouting and screaming that they've made squad announcements before international or FAs can announce it. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, certainly an element of that. The international ones are slightly different because the, the kind of embargoes are managed by the um, the respective governing bodies. And to be fair, when it comes to, um, you know, you look at Aidan and, and Willow as examples and they got called up, it was um, such a huge deal for them. They wouldn't have dared do anything to upset um the FA of Ireland in, in the short term anyway. So things are quite straightforward. But yeah, liaising with other clubs, um, you know, if you're signing players, you you kind of plan joint announcements, um, all sorts of things like that. Just a lot of a lot of talking, which I'd like to think I'm quite good at. You're also a more than passable commentator on I follow, Billy, aren't you? You know, you, you do the... Um... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> do, it's I, not... I, you know, when, I, when I manage to access the away games, I can hear yeah. your, your dulcet tones, you know. Yeah, I, I kind of I fell into that, really. Um, I think my my first year, um, obviously Dino appointed me, so very grateful for, for the opportunity. And I'll always owe him one for kind of getting me in at Mill. And then, um, uh, yeah, he used to obviously do the commentary um, for every game, I remember there was one game uh, he he couldn't make for whatever reason. Um, it was against Hull, so he mm. said, do you, want to do the, "Do you want to do the commentary?" So you kind of like trying to impress your boss. So you, um, even though I couldn't have thought of anything worse, I thought, <laughs> I thought um, compelled to say yes, went for it, and um, but that was kind of full commentary, not the summarising side. So it's a very diff- a very different, difficult thing to do that. Uh, yeah, to to lead off, I agree. Yeah, I agree. Very very tough, and. Um, if I remember, remember rightly, I think Mark Beavers played a, a back pass a bit short and Hull scored after about 40 seconds. <laughs> I, I didn't have a clue what to to do or say. 
You're not allowed to swear. I know what I'd be oh, saying. Yeah, and, and you know that's the hard, that is the hardest thing about it. Yeah, absolutely, bet, yeah. it, it is the hardest thing about it because you get so caught up in the emotions of it. As, as fans would have heard me celebrating certain goals over the past. <laughs> um, yeah, summarising is a lot easier because you get to um, you get to just watch the game and essentially all you're doing is filling the occasional silence with um, yeah, trying to pretend you know what you what you're talking about. Absolutely, absolutely. Were you a Millwall fan as a boy, Bill? No, I, this is, we're going to ask all the difficult questions here. Yeah, we're, we're going to drag I, out the truth. Yeah, I was I was dreading that question. No, I grew up <laughs> um, I grew up as a Man United fan. But let me let me okay. please, let me please explain it. Um, <laughs> sound of a thousand turn <laughs> listeners <laughs> losing. Of, of the yeah, that's well. right. Yeah, no, it's one of those um, uh, really vivid memory um, was with my. Uh, Nan and brother in Orpington Market, and she took us out. I'm, I, I must have been four or five at the time. I can't really remember, but um, seemed to just remember this scene vividly. Um, and she said we could each buy a, a football top, and um, my brother picked blue, I picked red, and they turned out to be like Schneid, Man United, and Chelsea shirts, so, <laughs> um, as you would get in Orpington Market. Like, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, up, they basically ended up supporting um, Man United, but also I've been at Millwall now for. Um, as I say, for eight years, approaching a decade relatively soon, and uh, I know I know a lot of people. And I understand this will say, "Oh, you can't change clubs." Um, what what you know, the club you sport as a boy is who you sport for the rest of your life, and I get that to an extent. But I think probably many people in football will will agree with me. Actually, when you work at a club, particularly for a long period of time, um, it just becomes your life. Yeah. Um, so Millwall for me is is my life. It has been for a long period of time. I, I love the. I love the club. I love everything about it. I love the history, what it's what it stands for, um, and, and can kind of relate to it from my own um, upbringing of a sort of working class background. So um, I just fell in love with it really, really quickly. So I would, completely would class myself as a um, as a Millwall fan, um, and will always be the you know will always be now. Um, so it's just to say when you when you work in it you can really relate to it you you become so emotionally involved um the club is sort of ingrained in your very being and i think then you realize when you've got that you realize that what you might have felt for a man united or a, another big club that a lot of obviously youngsters will support because of their successes or for whatever reason there's just not that emotional tie i can't i really got that with mill and i i, I love it just love it to pieces I think a lot of the, the thing is in, we live in the modern world, Billy, and and I think a lot of kids don't go to football. That's that. I mean, so you know, we, every every child wants to follow the team that they see on TV or whichever one is winning in in the in the moment. But um, I think too many kids. And one thing I applaud the club for is is you know trying to encourage families to come to the den because that experience of going to football um, is what made me the Millwall fan. I'm. I mean, I, I don't care for any any other club other than Millwall because. That's all it's ever been for me. And I think it's something that the game generally, Millwall particularly from our point of view, can think about more because the, the, going to football as a kid puts you in love with the game. It, it never really leaves you for, across your whole lifetime. Yeah, I, I think that's spot on. It's you know That's the challenge for, for clubs is sort of attracting the next generation and you know upwards from as soon as people can... Uh, kids can walk and, and talk. You want to get them into football grounds. And I think they say that the average age of someone who decides what team they're going to support for the rest of their life is around seven or eight. Yeah. Um, so that, that forms part of what we try to do on the, on the marketing side, getting into, into that particular age group. 
um, and, and trying to keep them there is is another challenge. Um, and that also that, that's when you rely on the players because you kind of want that first game for a five-year-old, six-year-old to be a successful one, so that they they want to come back the next week. And if if they lose on the second or third visit, it's not so bad as losing on the first one. And um, you know, ultimately, you're very reliant on the older generation to to pass that support through. And um, I think, fortunately, at Millwall, it's it's in, it's really ingrained in families, isn't it? In, in generations, it's it's, yeah. it's passed on. Yeah, from, absolutely. From from one to the next, and um, as long as that continues, and that certainly seems to be the case, then I think we'll be we'll be well set for years to come. Yet. You are listening to Achten Millwall. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Funny moments we've got. We're going work, working for our questions that we've got on our list here, listeners. So funny moments working for Mill. I mean, some of the things I hear. Well, there's one when you you were an away game. I was tuned in, and you go off for a, was it a pasty or something like that at half time, and you can you can kind of hear the the the, the process of of, of acquiring of a, of a Cornish pasty going. It, it, yeah, there's, there's, <laughs> there's loads of stuff that that happen. Uh, loads of things happen behind the scenes, day to day. Um, you know, just in in the office with with the guys you work with, it's um, it's a great environment. Um, one that we we work hard to protect. It's um, it's almost like sort of going to school with your mates. That that kind of um, that kind of culture where um, you know, first and foremost, you work incredibly hard, and everyone needs to be aware that there's there's a time to get your head down and, and get stuff done. But also, you want to be close with everyone so that you can have a laugh. And it's got kind of got that um, feel of of a place that people want to to work in, um, and then you've got obviously dealing with the players, and 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 that provides different challenges and um, and funny moments. And it's hard to I was thinking about this this one. It's it's really hard for me to pinpoint a particular moment because um, there's been so many, and the one that really springs to mind I definitely cannot tell you on air. Um, <laughs> Which. <laughs> That's no use. Yeah, we'll wait till we're off air. Off air, yeah, yeah. Um, no, loads, listen, loads of good ones. The funniest moments tend to be um, 
when you're kind of off camera with the players and I imagine uh, so yeah. yeah you might be having a, dis- a talk for five ten minutes before you do an interview with a player for example about <laughs> all sorts of nonsense and then you're kind of expected as soon as the camera's rolling just to be completely professional and um, conduct a sort of very serious three to five minute interview and it's um, it's not as it's not as easy as that sometimes, um, and you're almost reliant on the on the player to be more professional than um, than you are, which is uh, very rarely the case. <laughs> Talk, talking about behind the scenes stuff, you know, we we uh, we send it over, but you, you probably one of the biggest signings we've had in the last couple of years was um, like was the return of Tim Cahill. I mean, uh, I know there was a few whispers. Around Cold Blow Lane for a day or two before, but what what, what was that like? I mean, obviously, you know, you, you, even though you you say you didn't grab as a, a Millwall fan, everyone knows that Millwall and Tim Cahill really have got a real close connection. So, did you expect the response that the whole return got? Yeah, we we knew it would be massive. Um, it was it was a very strange run. A lot of transfers you get wind of obviously behind the scenes that something might be happening. Um, it might be a week in advance, um, a day or two in advance. It, it can vary. Um, we knew that uh, we were talking to Tim um, almost two or three weeks before the deal was confirmed. But it was, you know, like most transfers, it was one day it was it was off, and another day it was going to be on. Um, and I, I actually I kept it to my to myself. Um, I didn't want to tell my team about it at the time for fear of jinxing it, really, because I was like... That must have been difficult, Bill. Yeah, it, it was, because you, you kind of go and, you know, you speak to the um, the people involved and you hear about the latest and, you know, it's, it's very exciting. So, you, but normally I, I might share that so we can get stuff ready, but I, I didn't want to jinx it. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit superstitious as a person, so I kind of think if I go and share it and we get stuff ready, it's not going to happen. So, um, I didn't want to jinx it, so I kept it um, quiet for as long as I possibly could, and then, um, then we knew what's happening with with Tim flying over. The deal was agreed and stuff. I, um, I said to the guys, "Listen, this is this is happening." We've, um, I think we might have had about two or three days to work on it. Yeah. Um, and then it was a case of getting um, Tim in uh, into the building to do what we um, we planned to do, and um, Tim arrived at the den uh, one day about two o'clock. Had to have a medical. Um, which we covered. Um, then we had to do some bits with him, um, filming-wise, with a launch video, and then the interview and stuff. So I think we had him about two hours, and we wanted to announce it um, before everyone went to bed. Basically, there was no way we could wait to the to the next day. It was too exciting. So um, we all all stayed late and in, <laughs> announced about eight eight thirty or stuff. So um, it was um, yeah, crazy crazy day. Um, but Tim was brilliant. Um, you know, he worked with some very good players, some some not so good in terms of, you know, on the media side. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Tim's very long in the two, very savvy and experienced that um, and that side of things um, helped by the fact, you know, he played in the Premier League for so long and um, the attention exposure on that means you, you kind of have to go with it. Um, and he, he was great and, and um, yeah, my team on, on that day in particular were, were, were excellent and, yeah, probably, um, you know, so many good memories of, in terms of matches but I think that's probably my favourite working day because um, it was it was it was busy it was tense it was stressful but we knew that the, the end result would be you know um, completely joyous and it, it, it was it was probably the greatest reaction to uh, absolutely any, any, any news announcement that I can remember anyway and I bet as well Bill with, with that you sort of are even if it's not something as big as Tim Cahill's Sort of signing, for example, but anything that you put out, if it gets good reaction, I bet you sort of sit there punching the air a little bit that it's all come off so well. Um, yeah, yeah, 
yeah, to an extent, I think you, you sometimes know, um, you know, when something's going to go down well or when it's not going to go down so well. And that kind of shapes the narrative that shapes how you um, announce something. Obviously, that's a key part of um, strategies you might produce around a certain um, announcement, whether that's kind of player arrival or departure. Um, but yeah, anything you do, if it, if it gets a good reception, you know, it's pleasing. It makes it seem all, all worthwhile. And um, there really is a lot of work that goes into stuff behind the scenes on occasions, um, particularly for signings. And, um, you know, I've mentioned a few times really that the team I've got kind of behind me do a brilliant job with um, trying to be creative and um, engaging and doing something different to what they've done last and, and not being repetitive. And uh, as challenging in uh, the modern world, really, because so many clubs and different companies and different industries do so much brilliant stuff that you always try to be different. Um, you know, you don't want to be seen to be just be copying someone else. So um, very, very hard to be uh, different and creative, but um, my team do a really, really brilliant job. And uh, so when it's well, you know, when it's well received, it's, it's a great, it's a great boost for them. It's funny, I was just, one of the um, questions I've written, I mean, you've kind of touched on it already, <clears throat> was whether, whether you enjoy the, the role of uh, Director of Media and Communications, and you kind of like, you, you know, the kind of enthusiasm of your answers that aren't answered a question, but just in one of these karmic moments, LinkedIn sent an email to me just as, as you're talking, and it's communication jobs, I'm just looking at the, the, the other jobs in the world of communication, City of Westminster, public relation companies, and I think well, it must be brilliant to be a Millwall. <laughs> You know, to be involved in the world of football is a contrasting, um, you know, field with other uh, communication uh, jobs. It must be exhilarating. I mean, I know it has its down times, but it must be exhilarating given given the contrast where where the, the the jobs could be, so to speak. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's um, it's obviously not without its challenges, but I think, no, no. I think people working in in football. Um, you know, mostly do work very long hours. Um, maybe not as paid. You know, paid as well as in other industries but you what you don't get in most other industries is is that kind of that that goal of, of a weekend yeah yeah you have that game and everything you do is geared towards that game that weekend and if you win whoever you're playing whatever the circumstances if you win then your next week in work is so brilliant because you've won and everyone's on a high um you know you could work in the city and, and do a regular nine to five job and it could be quite straightforward yeah, you know, you could get home at six off the train, and then you you can switch off and turn your phone off and um, live a happy and stress free life. But it's it's not really me. Um, You're not dealing with Timmy Cahill's return there, Billy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's what I'm saying. You don't you don't get those. I mean, I you know when I eventually retire, whenever that will be, I'll, I'll look back at things like that and go, oh, it was so brilliant to be involved in that. Um, you know, I can't see that I, I would look back and go, I'm so proud of the way that we implemented that corporate communication strategy to introduce a new product or something it just just seems <laughs> seems boring to me I've been I was very lucky to get into football um and you know I'll do everything I can to stay in. I, I just can't ever see myself going into a different industry or doing something else because you just don't have that excitement and you know obviously there's very there's low moments along the way different challenges you know there's relegations there's defeats there's you know managers um, leaving, coming in, players you like leaving, coming in, all that, all those kind of things. But um, you know, when you get the joy of a of a big win, a, a huge goal, big moment, yeah, uh, yeah, a promotion or, or something like that, you just can't. I, I just don't see how that can be mirrored in another industry, and that's why I feel very, very fortunate um, to, to work in football, as, as I'm sure many others in, in my sort of position do. 
Bill, over your time at the club, how has Millwall changed and evolved? I mean, nine years is a long time, but how are things changed from your point of view? Um, we, you know, we've always kind of been about um, steady improvements. I think, um, you know, there's been a lot of changes behind the scenes, um, a lot of a lot of staffing changes. Um, obviously, the, the the media landscape has, has you know changed. When I, I arrived in 2012. Um, I think we had a, twi- a Twitter account at the time. Um, Facebook account hadn't been launched, so things like that have obviously changed enormously. You know, ne- now Twitter is probably the biggest platform for any. You know, the, your kind of whole um, uh, communication strategy around a, a certain announcement will be shaped by what you do on Twitter first, followed by Instagram, Facebook. Um, whereas before, it was just kind of website. That was it. Mm. Or you put on the website, and then you hope people would would visit it and um, you might send like a group text to everyone who signed up, that, that kind of thing. So the landscape has changed. And obviously what you need to change with that is the, um, the sort of staff behind the scenes to, to go with it. Um, so, so that's happened. Um, you know, I think I'm, I'm sure in saying that attendances have grown year on year. Obviously we had the dip down into, into League One in sort of the middle of my time, but we've, we're kind of growing, seeing to get a hold of base, average attendance, um, year on year which is really encouraging um, obviously certain things are out of our control um, players playing well results um, obviously an, an enormous dictator of um, who turns up for the next game but um, I like to think we, we have had a little bit of input into um, making the match day experience as, as good as it can be and we, we try to just improve year on year without you know doing anything drastic um, you know we are um, you know very 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 well run club um but we also operate within our means um and that that means that that kind of steady progress is is really really key and yeah that's 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 largely what we try and do you touched on social media there i mean obviously that can be a great tool shall we trying to pick my words carefully can also be a bit of a curse on us at times because as we found after the everton fa cup game which was what last year now wasn't it um it can it can cause us untold problems um that must be a difficult period for you as a, a trying to manage the fallout of often relatively small events in the big picture of a, of a 90 minute um, or 95 minute football match. Um, one video, one wrong video can cause a club untold amounts of grief, um, which we're all aware of ever since that, that, that game. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, it was a very difficult time. Um, probably for me personally, for for Steve, the CEO, for you know, for other you know, other people in um, in different positions at the at the club, because obviously what you you do so much work day to day on, you know, so you're referencing kind of anti discrimination stuff. So um, there's a lot of work that the community trust do. There's a lot of work that my department will have done in in, in sort of years leading up to that. And those kind of incidents, um, you know, completely rare, very few and far between, thankfully. They do do obviously set you back. And um, the biggest frustration with those is that that it then becomes very easy easy for the media to go, that's typical Millwall. Um, That's what they've always, that's what they've always been about. That's what the fans have always been at. And it's just not, it's not the case. So, you know, we might make so many positive steps inside the media yeah. Uh, and then those sort of incidents, minor or major, will just rein- reinforce their um, individual or paper's view on the, on the club, um, and that's and that's and that's really difficult because it then becomes a hard sell to 
um, try and get any good messages out there because they, they, they don't want to know. And um, as we know, um, Millwall and anything negative to do with Millwall, it sells. Um, I, I spoke to um, I spoke to a guy who works at a, a leading broadcaster in this country. I don't need, I won't I won't name them, but you won't need me. name him. <laughs> who that is? Um, a leading sports broadcaster in this country. And, um, this was after the uh, the Reading game where there was the accusation um, from a match official and. Right, uh, yeah. I was, you know, it was, this is another part of my job. So if I think something's unfair or um, or unjust, or the media could do something differently, I'll I'll, I'll open, you know, speak openly to people I know and um, different papers or organisations. And spoke to him and um, wasn't happy with what they'd done and the way that they covered it. Um, you know, these people are fully aware that they can contact me or, or someone else at the club and um, they can get the full SP on on what happened or didn't happen. And in this case, didn't happen. And um, spoke to him. He said, "Listen, said I completely understand what you're saying. I, you know, from a journalistic point of view, frustrated as you are that sort of wrong information has been shared. But he said the reality is, you know, Millwall and something negative sells. And he said there's three other clubs um, in the country where, where it's kind of same applies, where sort of reg- regular editorial um, mm. boundaries don't exist. It's kind of get something out quickly because that means that will." equate to so many more hits than if another club done something and, and that's you know that is that drives me mental but that is just a situation situation we're in so we have to do we have to do so much more to to kind of minimize that reality but it's tough it's tough so um yeah when difficult things happen everton was um but was a particular challenge because it was it went on for a long period of time then we had the the, the disciplinary commission which was in the summer yeah. um, so it was a big build up to that in terms of the club preparing its um, defence then we had the case itself being heard and then there was kind of fallout from the result of the case so ended up going on for about um, around se- seven months so a lot of time but I think what I've um, what I personally have found and I know um, Steve the CEO will, will agree is even though it's difficult you know those those periods of crisis actually that's when I, I like to think that's when we're at our best, um, when we are kind of in battle against someone. That's what um, really keeps us going. That gives us an edge. Um, and the same applies to loads of staff behind the scenes at the club. It kind of, it's when you really buy into the no one likes us stuff. And it's, that is massively the case. You have to buy into that if you work at Mill. I was going to touch on that. I was one, one, one of the questions we've, we've, um, wanted to touch on with you Bill really was because obviously the the fan base has a historic image which um, you know um, is both a strength and a weakness because the two often are sides of the same coin um, I mean what is the view of the club I mean it, it, there's always this this thing that goes around the message boards and, and on the social media that there's a, a desire by the, uh, the you know the, the kind of uh, the club um, authorities they want to sanitize the club you see that word banded around i'm sure you've seen it yeah um what's the truth for that i mean is it you've got a big job on your hands if it's if you're looking to sanitize Millwall football well, club yeah it, i think yeah exactly exactly right and that's that's something that's an accusation that personally i find very very difficult to um to stomach and yeah like you i've, I've seen that numerous times in in recent years but it because it, it couldn't be further from the truth um, yeah we don't want to sanitise the football club at all. You know, our, our, our kind of uniqueness is our biggest strength. Um, 
both on and off the pitch. There's no there's no club like Millwall. Um, there's no club that kind of revels in being um, disliked by everyone else. Um, and I think that's brilliant. I really think that's brilliant. So, you know, from a marketing point of view, speaking kind of in my professional head on, you know, yeah. the, the, most of our campaigns are centred around the fans. It's all fan footage constantly. Um, and, you know, we, we know that we are nothing without that edge. Um, that's that kind of like a, that aggression, that that intensity, that hostility that the den has on its best days. Um, that really is our, our biggest strength, and it gives the players such a massive boost when the den is that that kind of cauldron of um, uh, of noise, and it you know it, it makes things so difficult for the opposition. So no, we, we're not. We do not want to to get rid of that. We do not want to sanitise it. And I think you have to to work at Millwall to play at Millwall certainly you need to really buy into that. You have to understand that, you know, these fans are the most honest football fans in the country. They will, they, they will make it clear in no uncertain terms if they are not in approval of what you're doing out on the pitch. And um, obviously behind the scenes, they don't really see as much of, as, of what is going on. But I think to be an employee, you have to buy into it as well, which is, um, you know, I think half, um, half of my department, you're literally half of my department are middle fans. Um, and that's important. You really need to buy into that no one likes us um, mantra and, and culture. Um, so no, it's a, it's a massive, massive part of what we do. Um, we try and, we obviously try and channel it yeah. um, in the, in the right ways. Um, you know, and listen, we couldn't be, we couldn't be prouder of the fans and, and what they represent. The, the club is completely unique as I keep saying. Um, that really is our, our biggest strength and we have to really embrace that um, and that, that's something that I, you know, I certainly do, and my, my department tries to do. Um, I think they do a, a good job of that. Just the, what wonderful story is on the um, on the Twitter feed the, uh, the 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 Millwall fan who bought the uh, Bristol Rovers um, mm. season ticket for the young lady down there. I mean, you know, I know that we always regard our own club as being unique, but you do get these stories on the, you know quite often that there there is there is the other side of the coin, but there in there is that side too. It's, yeah, um, yeah, that's that's exactly right, and it, yeah, you know, another brilliant story, and we're, we're doing some stuff behind the scenes to um, make sure that, that guy is, is well rewarded for for that gesture because it's a it's a, it's a brilliant move, and um, it's it's things like that at times like these is you know this incredible crisis we're in the middle of that um, sort of restores faith in um, humanity. We're still doing great things like that. Um, you look at all the money that. Um, Captain Tom Moore has raised, you know, yeah. despite the fact that so many people are going through difficult circumstances, um, personally, financially, you know, people are still donating massive amounts of money to um, to charities, different charities in other countries to, to help them out. And, um, you know, Mill fans have been so brilliant with that over the years. Um, you know, some of the stuff, particularly, I think, on the military side as well. Yeah. Um, great initiatives. Um that I've been fortunate enough to be involved in um, as well over the years. You know, we had the year of um, the Prostate Cancer UK shirt yep. sponsorship, all those sorts of things. Um, obviously, the money that, that is raised from this podcast, you donate to charity yep. um, each year as well. So there's some great examples um, of, of fans doing brilliant things um, for charities, whether it's, you know, direct uh, monetary donations or um, different sort of fundraising initiatives, challenges and stuff. And, um, really do think that um, that's where Mill fans come into their own when they're when they're looking out for other people. That kind of um, pack mentality of um, 
helping out someone in in need i think is is brilliant and um yeah of course i'm massively biased but um this club does it like no other you know sometimes does it feel like it's us versus them us versus the rest of the world you know when when your back's against the wall you've got you know you are effectively under the cosh i know they're all cliches but do you get that feeling sometimes you're like you know give us a break effectively uh, yeah, yeah. Give us a break is a term I've used many, many, many times over the years. No, absolutely. Of course, yeah, of course you do. Um, because you know we, we used to have an example earlier. Um, I'll, I'll go back to that. You know, we was getting absolutely hammered, um, left, right, and centre. There was a kind of infamous radio interview that um, that Steve did. Where, Steve did where he was getting peppered, and he and he couldn't he couldn't get a word in. But yeah, I listened to it. Yeah, yeah actually, if you, if you let him get a word, you would have being able to understand probably better where the, the club's position was at that time, which was, listen, that's completely unacceptable. But um, he didn't get that chance to um, to do that. And that is that is really what it's like. Um, you get... See, we have like a good news story, for example. Um, we might distribute it to all of our contacts and I'll speak to different people over the phone. Um, and the local media, um, credit to them, are brilliant in terms of sharing these kind of good news stories. But it's very hard... Um, to get any sort of positive press from all in, in the national media. That, that I'm sure, will probably always be the case because good news and mill isn't a great sell, but bad news no. is, is a brilliant sell. So that, that will probably always be the case. Um, so sort of the national media or national broadcasters are very slow to pick up the phone on occasions, but my word, are they, are they very quick to pick it up when <laughs> things are not, they're not going to win? And that's when you're like, you know, leave us alone. Um, yeah. Yeah, give us a break. It, that's that's happened quite a few times, but that's just that's the nature of it. And again, I I go back to my earlier point. You you have to you have to accept and embrace that, and you have to kind of meet the challenge head on. Because if you don't, you'll just you'll just see you'll sink. Um, and you know, you, I think you've got to be a strong character to to work at Mill on and off the pitch because that, you know those are the challenges you you, you kind of face day to day, um, and you can't sulk or cry about it because you're not going to necessarily change the reality you you have to just accept the reality and um and, and go with it and i think we we do a decent job of doing that one thing i wanted to ask about just going back to the talk sport interview because i listened to that one bill and like you and like many others it was a kind of a kangaroo court style setup i think uh jim white wanted to bounce us out of the fa cup and all sorts of nonsense um i mean one of the things i suppose that you have a limit you have a limited range of media that you have, you have to talk to. I mean, I, I, I would struggle if I were in your position to then talk to TalkSport after that because my my nature would be, well, you know, you, you put the boot in, that's the last time I'll talk to you. But you don't really have that um, luxury, do you? You have to carry on and, and engage. And I think I saw Jim White was at the Den on one occasion when it'd be the easy option to say, well, we'll stuff him. You know, he, he can't come down and, 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 uh, and engage with us. But you don't have that luxury, I guess. No, it's not. I think we do. We, we can easily do that. We can ban people left, front, centre. We can not engage with um, whoever we, we don't want to engage with. But I, I think that's the wrong approach. I think because if you if we don't pick up the phone to people or if we say we're never going to speak to these people again or we're never going to give access to these people again then what do you change you don't you don't you don't no you don't, no you don't, you don't change anything so i think our mantra is more well actually okay you've coated us you've peppered us left front and center um but actually come in see us see what we what we what we do what we try and do see what the club's really about 
And then if something happens in again in the future, you might think a different way. You might cover this in a different way. Whereas if we'd just gone, right, okay, TalkSport, no, we're not going to speak to TalkSport ever again. Well, what would happen? Every time that something bad happened at Millwall, TalkSport would go about it the same way. Well, actually, I think you, you might find now that by doing what we've done with people behind the scenes at TalkSport, we've shown them what the club's all about. We've, we've been hospitable to them. We've, we've brought them in. Um, they've been there on match days. And that has helped the club's coverage in, in, in a positive sense. So you can't, you, you have to, that's where you, you have to engage. Be, basically, I think that's where you have to kind of be emotionally ruthless because your, your, your natural emotions is, I can't believe you're saying, you don't know what you're talking about. I can't believe you're saying this or, or doing these things to, you know, about the club. You don't understand what you're doing to me or to the fans or to other staff. Yeah. That's a, that's a natural reaction, but you kind of, you kind of have to be ruthless to go, right. That, that is how you feel, but that's not for the, for the, the betterment of the football club what is for the betterment of the football club is that you um you take a step back and you work out long term what is going to be the best possible outcome and the best outcome um from bad is is good so you take you take the bad and you try and shape it into good and to do that you have to do some things that might not be popular or people might not agree with but actually it's all geared towards making sure that the club is covered or portrayed in a in a light which is um, uh, more realistic and it's more deserving. You're listening to Achten Millwall. We all had our own sort of um, follow-up story from the Everton game. I was with Nick and uh, and his watchtower in Block One, and you know, <laughs> I mean, genuinely, I, I all, all, all I said to him after the game was like, "Wow." Fabulous atmosphere, brilliant game of football. That is what, you know, proper FA Cup football is. And then I think it was a Saturday night where I actually got um, Pakistani friends who, who were sending me these clips. And my first sort of instinct was to defend the club. And I know, obviously, there were other interviews on a radio station I work for. Um, I don't work for them now, but a radio station I work for where, you know, um, loads of other people were, 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 were sort of like, you know, going to hammer the club. And I think my first sort of instinct was to go and defend the club. And I think we did a a reasonably good job at it, Nick. Um, you were there that day. I mean, yeah. it's something that people well, people still listen to, that podcast, you know, that episode. I've listened to it. And, and I think we did a reasonably good job in, in trying to defend the club. And as I, as I said to Steve, um, Bill, you know, as a British Asian person, if I felt uncomfortable when I'm approached to do a game by the BBC or whoever employs me, and they say to me, go to Mill, if I felt uncomfortable, would I really go? Would I really want to put myself at risk? Would I really want to experience that kind of thing? You know, it's 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 crazy. A lot of people even now, they, they turn around to me and they go, oh, you must hate going to Mill. Well, no, mate, I love it. You know, I absolutely love it. You know, the, the, on, on a good day, there's there's no better place to go and watch football. So um, I think it's always it, interesting. It, I mean, if, in, interrupting you. Know, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Obviously, I speak as a white working class Englishman of a certain age group, so that's who I am. But I look around the day, and I don't I don't see this. You know, I'm not saying it's kind of. Um, kind of like a rainbow but it's it, there's certain you know you, you get you get all sorts of people there and i think the um, it goes back to an earlier point that billy touched on i think that some journalists just arrive with a certain story pre-written in their heads and if they can get any facts to fit into it along the way then happy days you know i, I think you know the sad thing about that particular night was it was an immense atmosphere it was a wonderful victory um and yet one video that lasted i don't know how long 
20 seconds, 30 seconds possibly, of a small number of people, becomes the story. I know that's the curse of, the, of, of Millwall, and that probably always will be so, but um, I think social media has a, has a disproportionately magnifying effect in these things. Yeah, I think that that was, you know, going back to Everton again, that that was our biggest um, sort of cause of hurt from from that night was the fact that what happens is obviously everyone gets tarnished with the same brush as we know. So um, that that small clip, terrible though it was, wasn't reflective of obviously the entire atmosphere that was created. It was a very, very small number of, uh, of people, minuscule number of people in the grand scheme of things and the, the overall attendance and... And actually, the atmosphere had been so brilliant that night from start to finish, man. It's so difficult for Everton and so much easier for our players to play. And um, I'll never forget when the, the noise that just um, erupted around the ground, when it really started tipping it down. I'm sure you guys remember mm. the exact same moment. Um, you know, it's when the, the monks chant really, really... I think I retweeted a clip of it the other day. Yeah, it's kind of when it really reverberated around the stadium, just when it started tipping it down. Um, you know that that's that's everything that Mill was about. So you, I think if you if you kind of look back, you will see that all of our statements since that um, since that incident, and there's there's been a fair few. Um, I've always reflected the fact that we're incredibly grateful to the fans who actually made the atmosphere what it was, because it's those it's those fans that make Millwall what it is. That you know they're the fans that we need. That then week in week out, because if if those guys can come every game. And we have sixteen and a half, seventeen thousand people with the atmosphere. Yeah, like the sky's the limit. Like how far, how far as a club could we go? Because um, you know it's those type of performances that come hand in hand with that type of atmosphere. Um, so it's incredibly frustrating then when you get, um, you know, albeit a very unsavoury incident that tarnishes that whole, um, that whole gathering. And um, find again, I find that one really, really difficult to stomach. I hate. Um, the term sort of typical mill and I'll say like I'll, I'll see fans of other clubs saying it on social media that's typical mill that is that's, typical, that's a typical mill fan it's like that drives you mental typical mill fan does this this and this for charity raises all this money comes to the games gets behind their team um, no matter their background brings their family on that's a typical mill fan um, so yeah definitely post Everton the biggest frustration was that there was such a brilliant atmosphere which, which helped contributed so enormously to that brilliant famous win and it was all forgotten about yeah. all, all forgotten about because of you know sort of a small group of people doing something which which they they shouldn't have done and um that's that's the frustration that everyone really gets times with the same brush and you know i've been fortunate to, to get to know many bands over the years um and it couldn't be further from the truth it, it really couldn't no it's no it's a good point um and yeah no we i think we all feel the same and i was just uh just on to a bit of an a lighter one now, Bill. So who, um, who in all of your time at the club has been like the best player to, to work with, um, you know, sort of on and off camera? Uh, yeah, you know, I've been really lucky, um, you know, other, other than a couple of seasons where things went a little bit peaked on. Um, you know, we've been largely very successful on the pitch and obviously with that comes good characters and, and good cultures, particularly in the last um, four or five years. So, um, work with some great players. There's, there's some great lads in the in the group at the moment. Um, you know, Willow Coops, Jed, Piercy, Ben Thompson, just you know, Hutch. I could name literally the whole squad. They're all brilliant. Um, but probably, uh, I suppose the one I've, I've best got on with over the years is probably Morrow. Um, okay. You know, vastly experienced, knew knew what it took to to play for Millwall. Um, had um, 
a very demanding personality. Um, <laughs> not, and I knew you'd laugh. I knew you'd laugh. <laughs> in a, in a, in a, you know, for me, in a very positive sense, all, all he wants is that he wants people to. You mean he demands the best of others, yeah, so exactly. to speak? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he just yeah. He, as as a captain, he wanted everyone to be at their best all the yeah. time. Whether that whether he was a player or a member of staff, and I think that's brilliant. I think if there was more people like that, um, you know, most businesses would be successful. If people, you know, really really cared about they, what they did day to day and they worked as hard as they could do, then you know, the economy society would probably be in a much better place than um, than what it is at the moment. Separate from obviously the you know the fact we're in the middle of this crisis. So Morrow was, Morrow was brilliant. Um, great to be around. Um, sort of miss him around the place now because he was someone you could kind of lean on and, and speak to about all manner of things, really. Um, and um, he, he, he kind of loved that, uh, that sort of common misconception about him just being some miserable guy. Um, it's like a cartoon image, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, he kind, of, he kind of reveled in it. And, he, and he, he, he's not like that. He, he really isn't like that. Um, <laughs> He was uh, no, yeah, probably more, probably probably the best to work because he he was just straight honesty, um, no matter the circumstance, and, and I really really respected that. You, uh, the big event of the season so far, I suppose, Bill has been the prior to COVID nineteen. Anyway, I suppose that's the big event of the season. But the bigger event was the departure of Neil um, back in October, um, and then the the arrival of Gary Rowett um, about a week or two later, as, as memory serves. Um, that must have been a difficult time. I mean. You, it sounds like you 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 build relationships with you know the main main um, players and the, clearly management around the club to suddenly lose that. I mean, I know football is a cyclical business, as they say. It's you know things things happen overnight sometimes, but it must have been a difficult time for you. Yeah, it was. Obviously, people in in my position, um, you know, naturally you become closest with with essentially the, the CEO and and the team manager. Yeah. Um, you know, those are the people you're dealing with day to day, day, day by day. Yeah. yeah. So I think my um, I think memory serves me correctly. I took I took over the department the same time that, that Neil took over full time. Um, you know, took over as manager full time. So we'd just been relegated. So I took over. He took over. So it kind of went hand in hand. So um, yeah, naturally experienced all sorts of different things alongside um, Neil. Mm. Uh, that kind of difficult start to League One, then that brilliant run towards um, the playoffs, obviously ultimately unsuccessful playoff campaign, and then the year after, the FA Cup run. So, so much had happened in Neil's time in charge that I'd, you know, I'd been there and was grateful to Neil for kind of overseeing that. Um, that's what you saw sort of on the pitch. Um, but Neil had a, a, almost as big an impact off of it as well. So, sort of re-establishing or finding and implementing a new culture behind yeah. the scenes which gave the players the platform to do what they did and, and be successful because you can't you can't really have one without the other um so he, he was great at that it was he, he sort of made Millwall a brilliant place to work again after a difficult couple of years um and, and also you just you know you grow closer interviewed him hundreds hundreds and hundreds of times after wins draws defeats player signings all sorts so um yeah you get very close and yeah, obviously him leaving, um, it wasn't, you know, necessarily a complete shock because we were going for a little bit of a, a difficult time. It, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Obviously in relative terms, it wasn't the end of the world, but he was going for a little bit of a difficult time. Um, and, and Neil being the man he is, um, sort of took stock of the situation and, and realised that a change might be best for 
um, for the club and for him, which he's spoken openly about um, since then. So I'm kind of not afraid to say that. Um, but yeah, th- those couple of days um, were probably the most tough emotionally um, I've had at Mill because it's kind of, it's just the unknown. You know, we got so used to Neil being in charge, so used to what he kind of represented on and off the pitch. You then think, oh, someone might come in, it might be completely different, and it might go back to how it was before, and and this and that. But actually, I had nothing to worry about. Um, Neil's gone on obviously to Cardiff, and he's he's doing well there. Yeah. Gary, Gary's come in and, and has been every bit as brilliant as as Neil has been um, as of his staff. So um, yeah, got a great like, relationship with Gary. Um, had a brilliant one with Neil and it, it's important you've got to get on with your managers if you don't get on your managers um, I can't imagine how um, no problem. stressful yeah that, that, that can be so um, yeah, I've been, been lucky at Mill in the last um, last couple of managers that's for sure The drive time video you've been doing with the car <clears throat> um, the, the really good content really enjoyed those he, he comes over very well Gary Rowick doesn't he? he's, he's, he's a polished media performer He is yeah very articulate I think he you know by his own admittance that um, the spell he had out of the game after Stoke and before joining us where he, he spent actually eight, nine months working um, with the team at Sky Sports has helped him on that, you know, in that regard. Um, yeah. Kind of see a different side to the game. A, a, a sort of side that most managers don't really enjoy, to be honest. No, no, no. You get an impression he does. No, what, what, they want to, what they want to do is coach the players and win games. You know, when they want to sign players. They, they want all the kind of nuts and bolts on, on that side and that's only natural and um, a lot of the time, the kind of interviews and the press conferences and stuff are um, not, maybe not the most enjoyable um, or exciting element to the job. Um, but it's kind of caught, taught Gary something a little bit different that, you know, behind the scenes of a different organisation, how it works and how they gather content and stuff. And yeah, he's been absolutely brilliant and he's very receptive to different ideas and things we, we want to do. Um, obviously, you have to be respectful that the team's preparation and training and all that, you know, takes precedent over everything, which, which we are, you know, we are respectful of that. Um, yeah, beyond yeah. that, no, he's, he's been brilliant. I, I speak to Gary most days, um, you know, even at the moment. Um, and, you know, he's, he's kind of always keen to see how we're doing and how the, the, the staff are doing and um, all that kind of stuff. So no, he's, um, he's been very, very good. Last couple of questions for you, Bill. Um, what's been your <laughs> what's your been your favourite moment working for, at Millwall? Um, well, you can only you only have one. You're on a desert island. One, yeah. one moment. <laughs> um, favourite moment. I, I think it, it's easy to point to the, you know the Bradford win at Wembley, the playoff the playoff final win. Um, those days are really difficult because they're they're very emotionally charged. So they're very very draining. So there's a, there's yeah. a long there's a long build up. I've experienced it twice. You know, had one, had the defeat and the victory. So yeah. a decent position to compare both. But there's there was always a massive build up to the playoff finals. Um, a lot of media coverage, a lot of preparation in training and behind the scenes to get yourselves ready. Um, and then the games are so stressful. And, and obviously, exactly the same way life a fan. You're on the edge of your seat constantly. Every time the opposition attack, you think, oh, this is... This is this Here we is go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Bradford, um, it was the same. Um, I think Barnsley felt like there was no pressure. There was pressure, but a lot less pressure on, on us maybe than there was the year after when we had to kind of go again and would have been expected maybe to beat um, to beat Bradford, given that we'd had the experience of the year before. Um, so, the, yeah, the, the victory there, um, the kind of outpouring of emotion uh, at the goal and then the, full, the full-time whistle was 
um, was right up there. We had a brilliant party after that. Um, there's been some great, there's been some great games. That, you know, the Leeds four three. Yeah, yeah. Bristol, yeah. the Bristol yeah. Rovers won. Um, the Scunthorpe um, playoff semi when we when we done them three one at their place. All, all brilliant. But I probably singular moment would probably be the Sean Cummins goal against Leicester. Against Leicester. Leicester. That was the most mental I think I've ever gone at anything <laughs> in my life. Because um, it was so, I mean, you guys would, you, I'm sure you said the same, it was so unexpected. You know, we went down to 10 men, didn't we, early in the second half? Yep. They were, yep. you know, they were the, the reigning champions of the country. Um, we couldn't get the ball off them. Um, despite yeah. But we still beat them. Yeah, exactly. And it was so unexpected that we, we just couldn't, you know, we couldn't even get in their half really for that, that second period. And then, we just scored the goal so late on. So there was no time for that sort of like, oh, we scored, but we still got to defend for 20 minutes. It was like, we've, we've done it. Um, so yeah, probably as a, as a singular moment, that was that was probably the best one. Fantastic. Cool. Um, just as a special request for Nick, it is his birthday coming up. So I think it's a milestone birthday, <laughs> isn't it, Nick? Um, not yet, not yet. Is there any way we can get his seat jet washed at some point? Because I'm really worried about what sort of lung-based infections he's going to pick up with, um, with, 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 with what goes on. I mean, can we get some form of padding in the yeah. I'm gonna miss. I'm going to miss that bird mess when it's gone. Yeah, no, Nick, I'm, I'm very familiar with your woes. I've seen, you, I've seen your tweets. I did, I, I did mention it. Uh, it seems like a long, long time ago now. I'm pretty sure it was clean, but God knows what it looks like. God bless you, Rick. God bless you, Bill. God bless you, Rick. Apparently, apparently, Nick, it's one of those things that Gary and Billy talk about on a regular basis. (laughs) (laughs) Great stuff. I'll tell you what, Bill. I'm, I'm still for the fact that we should have an air raid siren before Roy Green. I still reckon it should be done. I don't know why. I'm not I'm sure not about so, that at all. I'm not I'm sure so about for that. It. Goodison Park style air raid siren. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it could work. You never know. It could work. We're open to ideas all the time. There you go. There you go. Uh, Billy Taylor, thank you very much for joining us on Acting Well. Do you know what? Absolute pleasure. Um, of course, other episodes available. Steve Claridge is flying. David Ford is flying as well. And um, that brilliant one with Michael Calvin. Uh, make sure you check it out on iTunes, Acast and Spotify. Billy, te- keep safe, pal. Keep safe. Looking forward to seeing you again uh, up in the press room at some point. Um, Nick, Michael, thank you, chaps. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, mate. Again. Thanks, guys. Uh, until next time, bye for now. Achtung Millwall and the Real Millwall Fan Show are the number one Millwall podcast and we want to hear from you. So get in touch with us. Let us know your thoughts, your views, your rants about all things Millwall. We've got email, achtungmillwall at gmail.com or one word, achtungmillwall at gmail.com. You can get in touch with us and leave us a voicemail on 0208 144 0232. That's 0208 144 0232 leave us a voicemail no human will be involved in the receipt of your message so give us a shout tell us what you think about all things Millwall and the best messages will be read out on air Achtung Mehlball Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.